Okay, if you got your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 11. We're going to be reading verses 5 through 13. So Luke 11, starting in verse 5, it says, And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, again, we thank you for this time. God, as we open up your word, we ask that uh, you would, God, illuminate this text through the light of the Holy Spirit. God, that you would shine on our hearts, that you would shine on this passage. God, that you would convict us of the ways that we have fallen short in this. Um, God, that you would draw us close and and give us a vision of of your goodness and your graciousness and your fatherly care for us. God, that all these things that we would be more like Jesus Christ because of them. God, we thank you for all your many blessings. Most of all, um, we thank you for your word, God, because without it, we would not know you. Uh, we would not know your son. We would not know ourselves. God, we would not um, know how we can be saved. Uh, we thank you for it. Uh, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, something I, I feel like is the case, and you've probably experienced this too, is that it seems like it's it's harder and harder um, to to uh, talk to people about the faith in many ways. Uh, it's harder and harder to to share about Christianity um, and and our own faiths. Um, and I, I, there, there's all kinds of reasons for that, right? But but I think there's there's a piece that that is certainly true, is that on one side when we when we talk mainly about what we we believe. Um, there's sometimes a, a disconnect because somebody can just kind of come along and say, well, you know, that's your worldview or however they want to explain it. And, and that's fine for you. And, but I have a different philosophy or a different kind of, um, thing. And, and obviously we have to tell people our world, world, worldview. We have to tell people our theology. We have to say those things. Um, that is part of the proclamation of, of the gospel. But there's another piece too, where I think, um, 
and, and we, we probably all know this is a part of our testimony should be about the way that God has met us personally. Um, the ways that we have engaged with God, that we have felt his presence, specifically the way that God has answered prayers in our life. Because I think what happens is when we see God answer prayer in those very sort of particular and unique kind of ways, that's a, uh, it, it's an opportunity, uh, it, it's like a miracle. Okay, it is a miracle. Um, it's a moment where we can kind of look at a situation and say, you know, we can wax philosophical with each other back and forth. But I'm telling you about a situation where this thing happened and I asked God to intervene and he did in a big way. And and I can't explain that any other way than prayer. Um, and 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 I don't think you can explain it in any other way than than God answering prayer. Right. And probably we've all had little circumstances um, like that in our lives. I've shared before a story of when when Christy and I were at Southern and seminary. And we came to the end of the month and, and we didn't have enough money. Uh, and we were, we were, the bank account was empty and we had had an unexpected bill and we owed about 500 bucks. And we didn't know where we were going to get it from and figured we were just going to have to kind of push it forward on things and, and, and make do. And, and we stopped that night and said, God, uh, we don't have this money and we don't know where it's going to come from and we don't know what to do about that. But God, we're just going to lay it in your hands and, and ask that you would answer this prayer for us. And literally the next day we went out to the mailbox and opened a letter and it was from Pleasant Grove here in, in Maryville and they had sent me a check for $500. Um, and we had not shared that prayer request with anybody back at Mother Church or even any family. Um, the church had not been in a habit of like sending me random money in the past. Like it wasn't like, oh, we just happened to get that check that we get every month or something like that. No, uh, there was none of that. But, but. As we thought about it, we thought, you know, it was it was the case that God was already preparing to to answer our prayer. The check was in the mail before we even had, had prayed the prayer yet. Um, but the numbers were so precise, and and, and the con, the 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 coincidence of it, right, was so so great that uh, it, it's just one of those little examples where you say, man, that that's not a coincidence. That those kind of things don't just accidentally. Happen, And I think what happens is our prayers and God's answer to those prayers become a great witnessing um, tool for us, a great way of, of, of demonstrating uh, the truth of who God is to the world. And so we're continuing on talking about prayer in this passage. And so you remember two weeks ago um, and the week before that, we talked about the Lord's Prayer. And we did uh, the first section of the Lord's Prayer, which were these sort of big cosmic petitions that we have, that we ask God that his name would be hallowed, that his kingdom would come. The second set of petitions are more earthly uh, current concerns, although they're still big concerns that God would provide for us in terms of our, our daily sustenance, that he would protect us from uh, evil, uh, and that he would pardon us of our sin. And so he, he sort of gives us this model for prayer that we're going to touch back on again in this uh, passage. But he also zooms in on a particular issue when it comes to our prayer. And obviously we could talk about all kinds of different side aspects of how we pray and when we pray and what we pray and these different kind of things. But Jesus zooms in on a particular issue that we seem to have with prayer. And, and I think what the issue is, is, is the concept of persistence. Okay. Uh, but it's a little more, it's a little more fine tuned than that. And we'll see as we get into some of the wordage of this passage. So, so again, look at the passage and, and Jesus gives this, this parable to us. A parable, parable about a, a man who has unexpected guests come in the middle of the night. And so it says that, um, this guy goes next door to his friend and asks 
hey, will you give me three loaves of bread so I can feed these special guest travelers who have come to my house unexpectedly? And he will answer from within, it says. The man on the, 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 the friend, the neighbor answers and says, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and, I, and, and give you anything. And then it says, particularly, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence, some passages say persistence, he will rise up and give him what he needs. So at first, the story, I think, seems a little bit odd because maybe our first um, uh, inclination um, is to wonder who each of these characters represents in the situation. This man, um, it says he is unwilling to help his neighbor, but because uh, of of the sort of uh, hospitality culture, this would have been a big problem. You know, if you've got people who come seeking shelter at your house and you have no way to take care of them, that's a big deal in, in Eastern culture. And so when this guy goes next door and says, will you please give me some food? And the guy says, it's, it's too late. Um, um, I'm already in bed. He says, I'm in bed with my children because, and again, a first century kind of home, you probably just had one sleeping area. Um, and if you're a parent, you know how precious it is to have your children asleep. You don't want to do anything to, to interfere with that, right? You don't want to do anything to possibly wake those kids up. And so it's going to be an ordeal to, to get up and open cupboards or, or maybe even the possibility of having to, to bake something on the fly in the middle of the night. And so who knows exactly what the situation is, but the guy basically says, I'm not going to help you. You can go somewhere else. It's too late. Uh, I'm not going to help. Um, we're told that his friendship with the man is not enough to get him to help. The guy is unwilling to be inconvenienced in this situation. But then it says this. It says, and there's this word in Greek, and it's, I think this is how you would say it, uh, anadeia, and it gets translated various ways there in verse 8. Sometimes it's impudence. Sometimes it's persistence. Sometimes it's audacity. The, the, the literal meaning of the word carries two different ideas in it. One is the idea of boldness. So because of this man's boldness, he will give him the food. And then there is another sense of the word that is because of his shamelessness. Because of his shamelessness, he will give him the food. Now, again, I think what happens is we, we, we may misstep here because we are tempted to maybe think that the parable is a one-to-one correlation with these. We, we allegorize the parable. And if that's the case, then we go, okay, well, it must be the case that God is the neighbor who can't be bothered with your problems, but if you, you know, hassle him enough that he will, that he will listen to you and answer your prayers, right? The problem is, is immediately we go, well, that doesn't really sound like God. That's not the way I think God is from the rest of the scriptures. And the reality is, is I don't think he's ill. That's not how you're supposed to take most parables. You don't take most parables like allegories that way to to where you make these one-to-one correlations. Um, He's not illustrating the character of God. In fact, we're going to see that that neighbor is actually there to contrast the character of God in a minute. But mainly what the deal is, is that what the illustration, what the parable is pointing to is the effectiveness of persistence. All right. And we all know that we know that persistence is effective in our lives. Um, there are any number of, of common kind of colloquial sayings that we use all the time that point to ideas about persistence. So think, I just, off the top of my head, um, when the going gets tough, the tough gets, the tough get going. 
The squeaky wheel gets the grease. Practice makes perfect. The best way out is through. Okay, all of those are, are dealing with the issue of persistence. To say, and if you if you experience difficulty, hindrance, roadblock, failure up front, don't quit. Keep on pushing. Keep on trying to to get this done. Um, I, you know, knowing you guys, some of you have jobs because of your persistence. Um, some of you have wives because of your persistence. Okay, some of you were in situations where you asked. And you were rejected, so you asked again. And sometimes you were rejected again. And it may have been multiple askings. But eventually, just like this guy, not because you're so awesome, but I guess you wore her down, okay? Um, there's sort of this, this, this picture there. But it's saying, man, we know persistence works. We do it every day. Um, when, we, when, when we need something done and it's important enough, we don't give up, and we see that persistence oftentimes leads us um, to success. We know this is true, but then I think Jesus is re- revealing the fact that for some reason, when we come into our prayer lives, though, we then immediately sort of say, yeah, 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 but that's not how prayer works. Prayer doesn't work, isn't a function of persistence. When it comes to prayer, there's too many other factors that are involved somehow, right? And so, so we can't expect persistence to make a difference when we are asking God for things. But it does. At least that's what Jesus is pointing to. And what we're supposed to take away from the story is pretty blatantly stated right there in verse 9 and 10. And so he promises us something. I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. In conjunction with that idea of persistence, there are many people who say the better way to translate this passage is keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. It is, we're supposed to expect that persistence will be a function of how God answers the prayers of his people. But here's the deal. Um, again, those ideas of persistence, boldness, shamelessness in our prayer. But I, the reality is, and I can say this certainly as 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 uh, confessionally, that's not the way my prayer usually is. Um, my prayer is not particularly persistent, not particularly bold, and not particularly shameless. I think honestly, it's opposite the opposite of persistent most of the time. I ask once, and then I'm sort of like, God, this is in your court now. So you're going to do what you're going to do. Maybe that's the Calvinist in me. I don't know. Um, It's not particularly bold, my prayers aren't. I think most of my prayers are pretty pedestrian. But if you think about it, the way that the things that we see in the Lord's Prayer, the things that we're called to pray in the Lord's Prayer, those are big, audacious prayers. That God's name would be hallowed everywhere, that his kingdom would come as, as it is in heaven. God, that it would protect us from not only the evil one in the spiritual realms, but the way the evil one is, is playing uh, out things in the physical realm that he would provide for me in all these different places. And, and, and most importantly, the greatest miracle is that he would forgive me of my sin through Jesus Christ. Those are bold prayers. And again, it can, it, it can probably seem pretty easy as we're reading through the Lord's Prayer and just sort of be like, 
yeah, 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 these are pretty common things. But when we really think of what we're asking for in the Lord's Prayer, these are these are bold, huge prayers. And then thirdly, I don't think I'm particularly shameless in my prayers. Maybe you could even say I'm too proud to beg God, I feel like oftentimes. I think my attitudes tend to be not particularly Christian attitudes on those things, but, w- but what we would call Stoic attitudes. If you know anything about the, the, the philosophers and, and the Stoics, there's just sort of this idea of saying, man, I'm just going to make do with how things are. If good things come to me, even keel. Bad things come to me, even keel, right? If, if good things happen, bad things happen, I'm just going to keep steady. No highs, no lows, just center. There's, Stoicism is actually very similar to Buddhism in that respect. They're, they're basically the Eastern and Western views almost of the same idea. And the reality is, is that I, I find my own, in my own heart, I'm not particularly Christian in my prayer life sometimes. I think I'm more something like Stoic in my prayer life. But the reality is, is all these passages do something. They open the door for us to pray crazy prayers. Big, audacious prayers. Most of you guys, some of you were in our, our good little book club this, this back at Christmas, and we read the book about the Reformation, right? And one of the characters that we touched on was a guy named John Knox. John Knox is probably one of the most important leaders of the Protestant Reformation. Um, he has a life that is, is super fascinating. It reads like a movie script, like the kind of things that he, things that he encountered and difficulties he had. And eventually he comes to be the founder of the Presbyterian Church in Scotland. But one of the things that is most noted about Knox is his prayer life. And so I think I've shared before the, the, the sort of funny uh, anecdote that Mary, Queen of Scots, who was both his religious and political rival at the time, made the comment once that she feared the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. Okay, that's that's a crazy thing to say uh, about a man's prayer life, and 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 he was an aud- he was audacious in his prayer, and he is known in particular for one prayer that he prayed over and over again throughout his life, at least after his conversion, and it was this. It's only six words long, but he said this: "Give me Scotland, or I die." That was his prayer. Give me Scotland or I die. Not, he wasn't praying just for his church and going, God, help my little church, you know, here, Pleasant Grove at Edinburgh or whatever. Help help it be be stable and, and, you know, healthy and stuff like that. He wasn't just praying for his community. He wasn't even just praying for the city that he lived in. No, he said, God, I want Scotland. I want the whole country. I want it to be changed based on the things that I'm trying to teach um, in this situation. And again, he didn't do it for his own glory. He didn't ask for his own fame or his own privilege, but he was asking for the souls of that country. That that nation would come to believe the gospel and follow Christ in faithfulness. And so all throughout his ministry, as part of his normal routine of prayer, he would say, God, give me Scotland or I die. Give it to me or go ahead and kill me. If you don't want to answer this prayer, then you should probably just go ahead and take me out of this world. That'll be fine. But if not, then give me Scotland. And guess what? God granted him Scotland to a large extent. The gospel changed that nation. And honestly, that nation changed the course of certainly church history and even Western history in in a lot of ways if, if you kind of look into that era. 
this passage gives us sort of the, 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 the authority to ask big things of God. And so again, you might say, well, Ash should, does that mean I should start praying for a $54 million jet stream, uh, airplane, you know, some, like some of my prosperity gospel, uh, uh, friends that I see on TV. If God has written us this blank check of persistent prayer, if all I got to do is keep on asking and he'll answer, he'll give me these things. Is that what you're, you're saying we should do? Because I think we should be honest just a little bit, right? And I think I've said this before. Those, those prosperity preachers, they're half right, right? They believe that there is a God who answers prayers. They believe that they have a God who you can ask big things of and he will answer. The problem is they don't read all the rest of the stuff, I don't think. Probably James 4, particularly. You do not have because you do not ask. We could probably add, and you do not persistently ask. But then it says this, and you and you ask and do not receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions or your lusts. So again, it's not saying that God will answer any big prayer you ask. He's not going to answer the prayers that he is. you are just asking for your own pleasure, your own lusts, your own privileges. That's not the kind of prayer he answers. But God is encouraging us to ask big, audacious kingdom prayers. And again, my head knows this is true. I've read this passage a hundred times in my life. I think I've probably even preached on it before, but my heart still doesn't believe it somehow. So again, as a confession to you, I will say this, that it is, I have done you a disservice as a congregation by not asking God for bigger things for you. I've not prayed big enough for our church. Somebody said, ask God for things that are so big that only God could accomplish them. That's a good way of thinking about it. Don't ask for God for things that you could probably do without him. Ask God for big things. And so we should live in expectation that not only God welcomes our prayers, he hears our prayers, and that nothing is beyond his capability of answering in these things. But again, the, the kind of, and to close on this, and what we see at the end is why should we expect this? Why should we expect God to care? Why should we expect God to answer? Look at how Jesus closes the section. He says, what father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So what is the ground of our hope in all of these things? The, the parable depicts this annoyed, withholding man who can be badgered into doing what we ask. And again, the question is, is that who God is? On the contrary, it's, it's, it's the opposite of who God is. What we see as the ground for his answering our prayers is his fatherly love and care for us. Jesus says, even imperfect fathers provide for their children. No, even evil fathers, wicked fathers is the way it's written. Give good gifts to their children. We started kind of a little accidental tradition in, in our family where when we come home at the end of the day, there's this gas station there right in front of our house called Limbs. And Limbs has been there for a long time. And I, when I was a kid, I would walk up to Limbs and we would get 
garbage pail kid cards and candy bars and, and popsicles and stuff like that. And so it was closed down for a while and now it's been reopened and they've got a soft serve ice cream place in there. And it's just really cool. Like I love this little corner shop that's there in our community. And so it's got to be the case that every time I'm coming home with kids in my car, as we come close to limbs, they say, Hey dad, can we stop in and get ice cream? Okay. Um, it, it, it's getting to where it's just about every time we pass the building. And so we don't stop every time, right? Because sometimes I don't want to spend the money or I don't want to ruin their supper or we we're running short on time or something like that. Right. Um, we don't stop every time, but oftentimes I think to myself, you know what, this would be a fun little stop. It would be a nice way to bless my kids with this small happiness. And guess what? I am a sinful, selfish, imperfect father. And yet I still go, man, I would like to do something nice for my kids. What must be the response of a father who is all good, all wise, who in all circumstances is working all things according to the good of those who are in Christ Jesus? It is God's fatherly care and compassion and devotion to his children that fuels our prayers. We can ask him because we know that our father cares about us. But the deal is, is that at the same time, persistence is still a determining factor. Why? Well, if you've got kids in the same kind of deal, I think you can, you can get a picture of it in your own head. Because it demonstrates the fact that our devotion and our concern for the petitions of God. It demonstrates the fact that we really care about these things that we are asking of God. It shows that God, it shows to God that the things that we are asking are truly desires of our heart and not just whims, right? Not just things to, to fulfill our passions, kind of like we were talking about in James. So, so again, as an illustration from, from our household, uh, last night we went and played hillbilly golf. And man, I have not played hillbilly golf since I was a little kid. Up there in Gatlinburg, it's, it's the, it's the miniature golf putt putt place. It's on the side of the mountain. It's been there for a long time, 50 years or something like that. Kind of the classic place I feel like to go in Gatlinburg for, for miniature golf. Um, the reason we went is because it was James' birthday. If you remember, you might be like, James's birthday was back in March. We're in May, Ash. What, what are you talking about? Well, um, th- on his birthday, we were supposed to go, and it rained. And then as we got into April, my mom got sick, and things kept on kind of every weekend was, was difficult, and then her passing, and then her funeral. And so all of a sudden, we find ourselves in May. But here's the thing. Probably four or five times a week since March, James has said, Hey, can we go putt-putting today? And we would get to a weekend and we'd say, he said, can we go putt-putting today? And, and we'd say, sorry, bud. It's just that things are really hectic right now. It's not a good time for it. And then we'd get in the middle of the week and, and he would say, be Monday or something like that. And he'd say, can we go to Gatlinburg and go putt-putting? Um, and we'd be like, man, it's school day. We can't go just in the middle of the week. Like it'll have to be on a Saturday. Well, can we go this Saturday? No, this Saturday's not good, man. We've, we've got to do these other things. And so finally last night, Christy was like, we got to go putt-putt. And so, so we went. Man, he had a big time, and he loved it. And he's, you know, I was talking to my dad earlier, like, he's good at it. Like, I think that's why he's, he's, he's a lot better than he should be as a six-year-old. Um, but here's the deal. If James had asked one time back in March and said, hey, for my birthday, I'd like to go putt-putt, 
And then the next day he had said, hey, Dad, for my birthday, can we go to Chuck E. Cheese? And then the next day he'd said, hey, Dad, can, can we go to Jump Jam for my birthday? And then the next day he said, can we go go-karting for my birthday? And then the next day, can we go to CM Games and get uh, Pokemon cards for my birthday? And the next day he said, can we go to Dollywood? I, what, what I would have realized is that each day it was changing. And the reality was is that he didn't care about any of these things. It was just whatever was new on his on his lusts, right, his passions. Like just the thing that he wanted as a little thing for himself that day. We do that kind of stuff all the time, right? We have those same kind of things. But but the fact that he asked persistently made us recognize that this is something that he actually wants to do. For some reason, he has got his attention fixed on hillbilly golf, okay? Um, and, and it was something that was really important for him and, and something he was really excited about doing. And so we finally got to do that. The reality is same with our own lives, is when we go to God in prayer one time and then just sort of say, hey, you know, God, if you want to do this thing, cool, but otherwise, whatever. When we go about our lives, I think our Father in Heaven says, they didn't really want that. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to give that to them. But when we are persistent in prayer and, and, and our prayer is focused not on our own lusts and not on our own passions, but on good things, on kingdom things, God answers. And so what, what I want to do is kind of close and, and, and give you three kind of points of application real quick. Is that one is that first and foremost, maybe we should be persistent when it comes to the petitions that we find in the Lord's Prayer. So you want to talk about the things that you should be praying persistently in, audaciously in, big kind of prayers. You should be praying the things that he has asked us to pray for in the Lord's Prayer. Okay? So we should be asking that God's name would be hallowed persistently. We should be asking that God's kingdom would come persistently. And this can go into all kinds of areas. Your lost friend who, who you wish would come to the Lord, persistently seek God on, on their salvation. Kingdom, ministry growth and success, things like that. Persistently, audaciously seek God on those things. Two, he particularly tells us at the end of that passage, what did he say? Did you notice how he says, he said, but how much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask, right? That ties back in to that kingdom thing. I think there's more to it there. He's not saying he's only going to answer prayers that have to do with being filled with the Holy Spirit or whatever. Um, but he is particularly zooming in on that because that's maybe the biggest kingdom prayer. Is it not the biggest way that God's name would be hallowed and that, and that um, his kingdom would come? Two, and this is something that was not directly in our text, we're going to come back to it in, in months and months and months down the road, but Jesus tells another parable in chapter 18 of Luke about persistence in prayer again. And the story changes a little bit. It's not about a friend who goes to a neighbor in the middle of the night. It's about a widow who goes to an unrighteous judge seeking justice. And again, it says the, the unrighteous judge is not moved by her plight. But because he's, she is persistent and is about to wear him out with her, with her petitions, he grants her justice. And then, and then the scripture specifically goes on and says this, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. And so tying into what we talked about last night, with, with certain aspects of our culture and religious liberty and infringements upon those freedoms um, that, that are potentially on the table in our culture, 
God specifically says, if my people will pray for justice for themselves, I will answer. I'll watch out for them on these issues. I will put them in a situation where they can have justice. And so it, it, not in this passage, again, we'll come back to this and talk about it again in a year down the road or whenever we get to, to Luke 18. But there's a specific particular connection there. But here's the problem with both of those, both this passage and, and the one in Luke 18. Jesus closes Luke 18 with this phrase. He says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So he tells us to be persistent in prayer. He tells us that God will answer our prayers. He tells us that if we will just be faithful to persistently pray, that God will answer. But then he says, but when I return, am I going to find anybody that is living that way? Am I going to find anybody on earth whose prayer life exhibits the things that I've called them to right now? That is a challenge to us, right? That is a, a calling out of us to live our lives in a way and to pray in such a way that we are seeking after God audaciously, boldly, and persistently in everything we do. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we ask that you would help us to, to pray the way that you have called us to pray. God, you teach us how to pray in your Lord's Prayer. You teach us to, to pray for these big cosmic concerns, these, these um, present everyday concerns, but God, all of them are huge things, things that we cannot accomplish on our own, things that we need you working in our lives um, to accomplish. God, help us to be bold in our prayers to you. Help us ask for big things when it comes to our lives and our holiness. God, to the spirit working in us, to the spirit working in our congregation, in our community, in our city, in our state, in our country, God, and in the world. Help us to ask for big things, God, because there's nothing that you are incapable of doing. There's nothing that you are incapable of, of answering for your people. So help us to do that. Help us to pray that way, to expect a good and loving Father to, to meet his people and to answer their prayers. Father, we love you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and sing the closing song.
Amen. Thanks for being here. Um, Kyle just reminded me of something. So next week is Mother's Day, and we had planned at the last business meeting to have our baby dedication on Mother's Day. So that snuck up on me. Sorry about that. So um, if you would mind texting me this week and and just telling me uh, if you're going to be here, you know, I recognize that some people sometimes travel for Mother's Day and stuff, and they go other places. And obviously, if you're not going to be here, we'll do another baby dedication at another point for your child. But if you'll just contact me. Um, let me know if you're going to be here, but we will do that next week. We'll have a, we'll have a baby dedication. We've had a lot of babies in the last year with COVID and not being, being here all the time. And so, um, uh, it's something we have, we have not done, uh, and, and look forward to doing so. So just sit, drop me a line and, and we'll, uh, we'll get with you and kind of tell you how that's going to go. Again, thanks for being here. Um, here's benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week.